the Jesus kind of life. Here we go. Part number three. What does it mean to have a Jesus or live a Jesus kind of life? We, uh, we know that that's what we desire. I mean, okay, do you love Jesus? I love Jesus, check. Uh, you like going to church? Most of the time, check. Uh, do I love my neighbor? That depends. Um, somebody smacks you would turn the other cheek. I'll think about it. It's according to the situation. A Jesus kind of life. How many of you know he lived a perfect life? And we want to live a life like Jesus, don't you think? Turn to your neighbor and say, I want to live a life like Jesus. Go ahead. There's no telling what your neighbor might say. We'll live a life like Jesus. Now, there were some in Jesus' day. On one side of the ledger, here was a group that said, hey, we acknowledge he was a great teacher. We acknowledge that he was a wise man. We acknowledge that he had some good thoughts. We acknowledge that he had great ethical uh, ideas we acknowledge that he had great moral value, all of that, but all he ever was was just a teacher. That's it. He was a teacher. There was another side on the other side of the ledger. They said, oh, no, he's more than that. He's a great ethical person, a great leader, a great teacher. He taught with anointing. He taught with power. But he not only was a great teacher, he was, in fact, the son of the living God wrapped in human flesh. He was the son of God. He was the Son of God. So some said that. And we can prove what that meant through the message this morning. I don't have any sermons. If you come to me and say, oh, what a great sermon, you know. I've just said this before. I'm going to keep saying it again. Every time I say it, I only reach 20% of you. By the time I get to the whole 100%, 20%, 20%, 20%, 20%, the first 20% is forgotten it. Okay, you with me? So... If you have a sermon, thank you for the sermon. If I, if I walk up to you, Brother Pitt said, I have a sermon for you. Your nature, you know what you're going to say? Well, so what? You know, I hear a lot of sermons every week. You know, but if I say to you, I have a message. You know, I can say a lot of things. I have a message. Then at the end, when I say, well, I'll see you later. Well, what was your message? You didn't tell me, you know, what the message was. So I'm, I'm a messenger. That's all I am. And message to you. And Jesus, thank God, uses a vessel of clay like me and like you to perform wonderful works. The Word of God is paramount to everything else in the service. It is the Word of God. God's about to impart you the life and the power and the anointing and the reality of truth. And the truth shall make you free. We know that. So we understand these things as we move into this message. When Jesus' time here on earth, 33 years or so, he was not treading water. He was not wasting time. He wasn't, okay, I'm going to wait until, you know, 33 years I've got an appointment with a cross, and I'm going to get the cross, so I'm just going to, you know, enjoy myself. He had definite purpose during the 33 years that he was here to do the will of the Father and the will of the Father was to seek and to save that which was lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. And he set up his teaching to culminate when it came time for the crucifixion. So here's a teaching moment for Jesus. In Mark, the first chapter, verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue.
and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teacher of the law. He taught them as one with authority, meaning he taught them as one who owned the truth. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, but not as a teacher of the law. <coughs> teacher of the law says, what does the law say? Let's turn to Psalms 53. And let me read this text to you. And that was a teacher of the law. They lived by that. When he taught, he inspired them. Because the word of God will not return void, his teaching inspired them. He said in Matthew 13, 45, what the kingdom of God was and what the kingdom of heaven was again and again and again. And he said, I want to tell you the value of your redemption. I want to tell you the value of your salvation. Here it is. I want to tell you the value of the kingdom of God. He said, it's like in Matthew 13, a guy who goes out and he finds a valued pearl of great price. And he takes that pearl and he realizes that, that wow, this is the most expensive treasure I've ever found. And the scripture says that he sold everything that he had. All the assets, he brought it together, garage sale after garage sale. He sold everything he had, all of his talents and all of his skills, and he put it in one bag and said, now, just maybe out of that bag, I can buy that pearl of great price. He said, the kingdom of God is worth that. It also parallels with this, the value of your redemption, the value of your salvation. He said, if you appreciate the value of your salvation, then don't abuse the treasure. If you appreciate the value of your redemption, then act like what you have is beyond reproach and beautiful. He said the other thing, he always told them the absolute truth. Now, why was that important? Because he could not tell a lie. He did not tell a lie. But he told them the absolute truth. How long did it take them, Marco, to come to the reality, if this man says it, it will come to pass. If this man speaks it, it will come to pass. If this man says this is going to happen, lepers, you're going to receive your sight if you do this. And they receive their sight, then before long, people are going to say, buddy, you can believe what he says, and you can trust it because what he says has come to pass over and over and over again. They trusted him and his teaching that was the fire and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it says he did not teach like other teachers of the law. The other teachers of law, they were script-ridden. There was just a script. Well, if you want to know the solution here, here's what it says, one, two, and three. He talked about, Jesus talked about relationships. He talked about in his teaching, crucifixion. He talked about resurrection. He talked about his ascension. And so when the crucifixion took place, some said he talked about that. And then when the resurrection took place, some said he talked about that. 
and then before he ascended to the heavenly Father, in the time between his resurrection and his ascension, he was shown to many, many hundreds of individuals, and it was easy for them then to trust what they saw because they remembered what he said. And they said, that is Jesus. He said this would happen, and they trusted him. And that is why in the book of Acts, here's what you find. They committed themselves to the teaching and the reading of God's Word because they trusted what He said by experience. You can count on what He says. Now, He was always tested. It's like the other scribes, the other teachers of the law, they did not like Him. The devil did not like Him. And I'm here to tell you there are some people that do not like you. Is that okay? If you're one of those individuals that you think everybody ought to love you, give it up. Rejoice in the fact that if you're a leader, you're going to make decisions, you're going to have to go places and do things that not everybody is going to be happy with. But if you're going to be led by popular opinion and led because you think somebody ought to cuddle you, you will never be a leader, my friend. And when you're living your life for Jesus Christ, and I'm not talking about the individuals who just get out there and unnerve everybody. You're going straight to hell if you don't get right with God. No, that's not how you reach people. Well, I mean, they are. They are going to hell, preacher. So when did you start judging? The point is, you reach people by loving them You reach people by sharing the good news of the gospel without intimidation. But these scribes, they did not like him. And so as a result of that, they decided we're going to catch him because we like to get rid of him and we like for him to die. We like for him to just leave our culture. So in Mark's gospel 12, 28, here's what it says. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, sir, which is the most important? Well, the most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Up, oh, And the second is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is it. No commandment greater than these. The scribe said, you're right. And I agree. And when Jesus saw that scribe agreed, in verse 34, here's what he said to him. He said, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Why did Jesus answer that scribe that way? The scribe understood what is considered to be the basic essential to everything that we do and say. Our faith is based on this basic essential. What is the basic essential? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. You get that right, you practice that, everything else in your life is going to fall in place. You will do what needs to be done. 
you will honor God, love God, and love your neighbor. Just love God and love your neighbor. It's said in the same mission. And here's what we know, that that was the same. That's why the scribe understood it, because that was a part of the teaching way back there in Deuteronomy 6 in the Old Testament and Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. That was what it said, love God and love your neighbor. Jesus simply in the New Testament states it, and that scribe said, hey, I agree. And Jesus said to him, now you are beginning to understand the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, the essential. Love God and? We'll try that again. You ready? Love your neighbor and? Just playing with you. Let's say it together, love God. Love God and love your neighbor. Now, how many of you like pizza? Now, I used M&M's last week, and I have been supplied with M&M's all week. Somebody bought me a whole box this morning. This morning, I'd like to talk about pizza. Now, I'm really going to ask you to respond and help me out. Listen, you know I love you, don't you? I, I was in church. I did not like it. It was boring to me. I'm a type A, and how God called me in the ministry is beyond me. Amen? But I thought since he did, I'm going to make the best of it. I think a message goes over better with a little bit of participation, a little bit of humor, and then sometimes you just right straight to the point. You agree? That's about 20%. You agree? That's good. I'll live with that, you know. You can't do any better. How many had pizza last week again? See, you're, you're an older audience. First service, everybody had pizza last week. Well, let me give you in my time of study and deep meditation, and I'm writing and dictating this message. I thought, what would you like to have on your pizza? How many of you say, I'd like sausage on my pizza? Come on now, you're going to have to, you guys are going to have to work a little bit. Come on, wake up. I like sausage. Here you go. I got a long list. All right, how many of you like uh, meatballs, you know? It's good. You, you in the balcony? Y'all doing anything up there? Okay, here you go. How many like peppers, just hot peppers? Thank you, I see you. How many of you like spinach? Popeye would be proud. How many of you like, here we go now, anchovies? How many like anchovies? Raise them up real big. Okay. Six. How many like pepperoni? Frank, do you like anything? I haven't seen you raise your hand yet. How about ham? Put ham. How about pineapple? Really? Really? Wow. How about broccoli on pizza? A few. I mean, like fried egg. Don't go to Russia. How many of you like onions? 
Okay, I'm looking over here. I see y'all. Are you doing okay? How about y'all doing okay? Onions. How about green peppers like bell peppers? May I see your hand? That's good. They make me sick. Okay, so, so here's my question. What have I missed? Bacon. I heard bacon. I heard mushroom. Olives. How many got olives? I'm here. I'm listening. I'm listening. Chicken. I hear you. Chicken. Who? What did you say? Basil. Basil, basil, basil. Great day in the morning. How many like basil? Well, seven. Anything else? What am I missing? Okay, I think, think what I'm hearing, which according to the major pizza makers of America, the one essential ingredient on a pizza is cheese. How many of you like lots of cheese? Oh, my Lord. I knew it would be right. I knew God would not let me down when I wrote this message. It's cheese. How many's ever had a Chicago pizza in Chicago? May I see your hand? I have. It's cheese. So you can have all the other things that you want on it, but it says in order for it to qualify to be a pizza, you got to have the one essential. It's cheese, and most of the time it's mozzarella. Are you with me? It's mozzarella cheese. There it is. What Jesus saying? Old Testament, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, gave you the essentials in the old law. Now here in the New Testament, you ask me a question, what is the greatest of all commandments? What is the number one essential? Here's what I want to tell you. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. He said that is the essential to having an opportunity to bring pleasure to Almighty God. Let's talk about that. Have you ever known a person, okay, just try this on for size. You don't have to blab their name out. They, uh, they have a bad attitude more than a good attitude. They, uh, they have a raunchy spirit about a lot of things. I mean, you sit down with them and but But they know the spiritual doctrines of the church, and they know about the Bible of the Bible. They're, they're engaged at church. They're in the programs and, and they go to church and, and they have a reputation to have religious spirituality. Uh, but buddy, if the rights it, they are quickly to demean people. They're quick to gossip about them. They're quick to judge people. They are, they are quick to, they're quick to say negative things about what goes on at church. And so if you look at that, you understand and say, wow, they have all the essentials. They're in the programs, they're in the attendance, they're in the church, but they're missing somewhere the essentials. That is loving God and loving your neighbor. Because when you love your neighbor, you don't criticize all the time and you don't judge. When you love God, your heart's right. When you love God, you say, hey, let, that's God's battle. That's not my battle. That battle belongs to God. In other words, what he says, a lot of times on your pizza of life, you can have all the things and you can add more. But if you don't have the cheese, friend, if you don't have the basic essential, all you have is an empty vessel and a clanging cymbal. 
that does not bring pleasure to God. Well, what? Um, give me some illustrations. Martin Luther, when he was a monk, Martin Luther, remember? When he was a monk, he'd go to confession hour after hour, day after day. Finally, someone asked him, said, Martin, you live in a monastery for crying out loud. You're a monk. What is there to confess? <laughs> there are no magazines there. There's no phone. There's no Snapchat. There's no technical communication there. You don't go outside. All you have is just gray brick walls there and the side of a mountain somewhere as a monk, and that, that's all you have. And this is the response of Luther. He said, hey, he said, it's the first commandment to love God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love my neighbor. He said, I can't keep the commandment for five minutes, just five minutes. So I keep going back to confession. I keep having to redo it. You see, we can do many things and have the programs and fail to love God and to love Him deeply and, and have a confidence that is in the Lord, and we can express our love with Him. But if we fail to live out that life as if we love God and we fail to live out that we truly do love our neighbor, we are in trouble. So how are we doing with that? How are we doing with the person where we work with? How are we doing with our real neighbor that lives next door? How are we doing with some of our family members? How are we doing with the day after day with individuals with whom we have relationships? How are we showing that kind of love? The essentials, love God, love your neighbor. Here we go, Jesus kind of life. Mark 3, here we go. Another time, giving some illustrations. He went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there, and some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal this man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. And Jesus asked him, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil? to save life or to kill. But they, these listeners, remain silent. Jesus then said to those religious people, those devout people who believed that they understood, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath? They said nothing. And Jesus was upset. He thought, what a sad commentary to know the law, to be a scribe, to understand the law, and to so protect the law by the Old Testament or the old school that the law seems to be above God. It seems to be above Jesus Christ. Jesus said, hey, I'm about grace. I'm about mercy. I'm not about law. I'm about understanding and relationship. And Jesus knew these scribes, these individuals in the law, just wanted him to give these answers. Hey, remember in school, some of you, that, hey, just tell me what the final exam is going to have on it. What questions I'm going to study toward the questions. I'm going to study toward it. You give me the questions. I, I won't read the whole book if you just give me the test. I'll know, what, I'll know what to study for on those questions. And that's what we often do in life. We study for what is going to please God. And Jesus knew that they are saying to him, hey, tell us what needs to be on the final exam, and we will answer accordingly. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Is that a final or, or not? It was not head knowledge. Jesus said, I don't want you to just know the book. I want you to practice the book. 
I don't want you to just come to church. I want you to love the church and to worship. So here's what he says in Luke 6, verse 40. Here we go. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. In other words, he said, when you grasp hold of that truth, there will be a transformation when the student understands what the teacher is saying and trained by the teacher, a transformation will take place in that person's life, and you will then, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to serve like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. He then tells them to take a look at how you're living and how you display that love. So he says, okay, if you now have received your redemption, Jesus is my Lord, how are you living out? How are you transforming into the person of Jesus? So then he shares, and so let me give you an illustration. It's in a parable. He taught in parables. He said an individual that, that <clears throat> decided to have a wedding banquet, and he invited guests. And the tables were set and everything was ready. And I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. And he said that when you as an individual come into the banquet hall, most of the time he said, you'll figure out, hey, you're the places of honor. I want you to know I'm a leader in the community. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I, I have my credentials. So um, I want to sit there in the place of honor. So you just take your seat and you sit down. And the head of the banquet comes and said, oh, I'm sorry. That seat is taken. I need you to sit down here, which is a lesser seat. You'll be embarrassed. You'll think, wow, pride. I thought I belonged there. Then he says, here's what you should do. He said, when you come in and you come into the banquet, you say, where's the kitchen? And you look and you say, there's a card table there and a chair. I'll sit there. And when the head of the banquet comes, they say, oh, I'm looking for so-and-so. So he said, well, he's not out here at the main table. Where's he at? Well, we saw him in the kitchen at the card table. And the head of the banquet comes and says, oh, listen. Listen, you're special. I don't want you in here in the kitchen. By the way, friend, the best place at a banquet is in the kitchen. Okay, I'm just telling you. I've been to banquets my whole life. Instead of sucking a bottle, I went to banquets. It's just the way it was. Well, I can tell why. Hush. <laughs> we want you to come, not in the kitchen, come out here. We have a place of honor for you. What is he saying in that parable? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. Don't put yourself above everybody else. Understand your place, and your place is the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, if you're going to live like Jesus, he never would have walked to the most important chairs. He would have went over here. He would have not said, you wash my feet. He would have said, let me wash your feet. He said, if you want to live like Jesus, do that. Then he said, oh, I've got something else for you. He said, here it is. He said, let's assume that you decide to throw a banquet on your own. And you say, okay, who are you going to invite? On your list is a list of the wealthy in your community that you know. On your list are the leaders that you know. You're impressive. 
on your city councilman, on your list are individuals that have a lot of money, that have name recognition, that might be famous in their community, etc. You're going you're gonna to invite those. And Jesus says in this parable, he says, hey, uh, why, why don't you consider inviting the poor, the homeless, the hungry, the shattered, those that cannot ordinarily or would not ordinarily ever come to a banquet oh you think so why well here it is when you invite the best of the best the famous the wealthy the leaders those that have influence here's what you know you know eventually they're going to have a banquet and they're going to remember hey he invited us to his banquet now we need to invite him to our big time banquet and you're going to get a payback because of what you did and you're going to reap a reward from those who invited you who were the wealthy to your banquet but he said here's what you know if the poor if they should ever have a banquet it won't ever happen this is the only banquet they will ever have an opportunity and there won't be any paybacks but you've given them a great memory a great opportunity to say he invited me to my banquet or to his banquet I wasn't worthy I don't know how you found out what my name was but I can tell you my whole life I've wanted to go to a banquet and he invited me for some reason. I'm glad I've got to go. You know what the teaching is? He said, hey, you don't deserve redemption. You don't reserve, deserve salvation. You don't deserve favor. You didn't deserve anything. But what I did is reached out to the low of the lows and those that were lost. And I said, I'm not inviting the angels of heaven. I'm going to invite those that are broken and messed up and beat up and abused who need salvation. And I'm inviting them to the banquet of the Lamb of the living God somebody say amen to that so here's another basic essential that we are learning together he said now I don't mind telling you I want you to pay attention to Matthew chapter 5 verse number 38 ready You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. <clears throat> but I tell you, I get discouraged reading this, do not resist an evil person. Someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him, the other also. And if someone wants to sue you, take your tunic. Let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Uh, so, Lord, what we would like for you to do for our benefit, if you don't mind, if you could just take Matthew 5, 38 through 44 out, it would really make living for you easier. Because if someone comes up to me, and cusses me out, not curse you out, 
It's cuss you out. One is lawn talk, the other is yard talk. And slaps me upside of the face. I'm not totally sanctified yet. <laughs> See, as you know by now, this message is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. It's brand new stuff. They're listening for the first time. And they're thinking, this guy, this guy, old law says, an eye for an eye. He says, yes, you have heard it said. Here is the law. But he has something else to say. In each case, he has a different alternative. That's the Jesus kind of life. This is what he's trying to reflect when he says in verse 39, don't resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. How many know that's in the Bible? Okay, I'll do it this way. Oh, flock of mine. <laughs> How many of you realize that this instructional piece of the Word of God is found in the Holy Writ? Thank you. Now that you got that right, I'm going to give you a pop quiz. And here's the question. Someone strikes you on the cheek. As a Christ follower, you should. Wait a minute now. Okay. Y'all ready? Let's read the first one. Number one, smack him upside the head. Did you read it? Let's do it again. Smack him upside the head. Number two, this is a pop quiz. Let's read. Turn the other cheek and allow a second blow. If he strikes a third time, then you can smack him upside the head. Everybody got it? Sean, how are we doing with this? We got it? Okay, here we go. Number three. Let's read it together. Let him hit you until his arms get tired. Here's number four. Let's go. You ready? Read it together. Walk away. Call some of your friends, and in a moment when your assailant isn't expecting it, beat the living daylights out of him. Here is the answer. Now, let me ask you a question. I had some people met me in the hallway between the services. You should have had a fifth one. Why? <laughs> when he hits you on the cheek, beat the living daylights out of him and then ask forgiveness. <laughs> you know what? I have a sneaking feeling that's the one that we practice the most. You with me? It's okay. This is a bit humorous. Would you agree? But it's real. So if we can't make an A plus on this little parable, how are we ever going to get a passing grade in loving God? 
and loving our neighbor. So this message might be bigger. At least you'll remember something out of it. You'll remember this pop quiz. And like last week, you remember M&M's. This week, you remember pizza. But you remember the essential is love God and love your neighbor. The point is that whatever action that you take, that it's not retaliation. My dad, son, this hurts me more than it does you. I never did believe it and still don't believe it. But it's for the purpose of rejuvenation of the Spirit of God in you. Because here's what happens. If you behave in that parable like Jesus suggests, you will be the winner. Because you will know what it's like to have stood in the arena of persecution and test. And you chose to live like Jesus instead of retaliation it will rejuvenate something in you that is unspeakable. And you will say, wow, how wonderful is that? The love of God, we demonstrate it through the power of redemptive behavior. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for the greatest congregation in the world. God, I'm so grateful we don't have a bunch of scrappers in here. I'm so grateful that everybody in this congregation, when they leave the parking lot, they never get upset. They never get angry when someone pulls out in front of them. I'm so grateful, God, that when it should be their turn in line and someone butts ahead of them, that they say, thank you, Jesus. I'm so grateful that we learned to live like Jesus. God, here's what we know. Nobody pushed you around without your will. If they slapped you, it's because you let them. You could have called 10,000 angels, but you didn't. They beat you beyond recognition, and you could have done something about it. Just call the Father. You could have stopped it there in the garden. Not my will. I don't want to do it. Change my mind. Sorry I wasted 33 years down here, but I'm not going through with it. But you didn't do that. And God, if an unbelieving world out there is ever going to see some kind of a difference in us, it's just got to start in some of this little stuff. Just some of these little areas. So we don't just fly off the handle and use a bunch of expletives and yada, yada, yada. Just got to start there. So I know that there are those here that are online and those in this room today have heard this message. I pray your divine hand would rest upon each of them. Because God, here's how I feel. I feel like I'm guilty. But I'm so grateful that I have a Redeemer who's willing to forgive me if I ask and turn my guilt into innocence. So I just want to be sure of that in my own life. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room, all of you folks, there and online, wherever you are, to let's repeat this prayer. Would you do that? Would you join me? Here we go. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I am sorry. I've made mistakes. I've not done what I should. And I reacted in a way that is not pleasing to you. I ask you now 
forgive me. I confess my sin. And I believe by faith that I am redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I feel better now. I don't know about you. Thank you for being such a wonderful group of individuals. The Holy Spirit, right at this time of the service, the Holy Spirit desires to move through the power of conviction. There is healing virtue that is in the house. The thing that is the number one enemy, particularly right now, is human will and human pride. You see, God speaks clearly, and he speaks to us through his spirit to our heart. He speaks to us through the power of conviction. It is the love of God initiated by the Holy Spirit, identifying a need God wants to fix. Remember conviction, and it may not be about sin. It just may be about obedience. Be obedient right now. That's what conviction does. And many people have missed their special touch from God at a special time. I missed an airplane flight a couple years ago. I was busy. I was headed to Atlanta for meetings. I sat there in the crown room and doing my work and whatever else I was doing in there. Time flew by. Next thing I knew, uh uh-oh, my plane's leaving. I got to the gate, and it had just backed away. I said, hey, my name is Wayne Blackburn, pastor of Victor Church, Lakeland, Florida. Call that plane back. You know what they said? You must be Mr. Blackburn. Your plane just left. (laughs) You know what I did? I called in my car. I said, I believe I can beat that airplane to Atlanta. I didn't. But I did crawl in my car and took off for Atlanta. You see, I remember the feeling of just missing a plane and watching it back away 100 yards away. I don't want you to miss one thing God has for you. I don't want you to ever have that feeling. As we sing, as you feel God drawing you to this altar, and then I'll give you the benediction. Would you be obedient to the Lord? Here we go, everybody. Oh.